Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today we're discussing Luke Cage episode four, part of our Luke Cage series. And we're going to take a deep dive into what the storytellers are telling us is true and the major and minor themes weave throughout the episode. We focus primarily on spirituality, human nature, and relationships. And as always, this podcast will contain spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode four yet, you might want to do so before listening in. Before I do get started, I do want to mention that we are doing our annual year-end fundraiser, and we'd love for you to support the Reclamation Society. We are a nonprofit, and all donations are tax deductible. Donations contribute to the production of our stories, these podcasts, and our blog posts. And if you're listening to this after the year has passed, after the year end has passed, you can still donate. Just visit www.reclamationsociety.org slash give to become a supporter. We are very thankful for everyone who does that, and we're very grateful for you as our audience. All right, I think that's it. I don't have a guest with me today, but I do love hearing from you guys. And if there's something you'd like to contribute, shoot us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. Let's go ahead and dive into episode four. First, my subjective thoughts. Episode four, in my opinion, is the best yet. I give it a nine out of 10. I really enjoyed it. The flashbacks uh, in storytelling can be a little bit dicey. Um, sometimes they're not as compelling, but this episode is fantastic because it reveals so much more about Luke's character and his history. The, pr- the prison scenes are great, although I will say that they're killing off a lot of my favorite characters. Um, I really enjoyed Squabbles, and uh, just like I enjoyed Pop. So I guess it's not a good thing to be a mentor for Luke Cage. You're in big trouble if, if you're a mentor for Luke Cage, but otherwise I love those, those characters. The only scene I didn't love was the transformation scene where he basically um, gets his superpowers. It felt to me like it was a little bit rushed and we haven't been given much background on it. We don't even know what that machine was or why. They'll probably explain it more in future episodes. But I did love how they worked the original Luke Cage costume into uh, the story. That was really fun um, and his comment about it was fantastic. I really liked that. I also like the twist at the very end with the psychiatrist Riva and the fact that we still have more to discover about Luke's origin. Um, and overall, I just thought it was a great episode of television, best Luke Cage episode yet. Um, and having said all that, let's dive into some of the deeper themes that this episode tackles. The first question I want to explore, and this is a big one, what characteristics and attributes do we associate with God? How's that for a starting point, right? There are so many different viewpoints on God, including those that question his existence entirely. But for the sake of our discussion, I'm going to focus on the two viewpoints that are covered in this episode. The first viewpoint comes to us straight from Rackham, the prisoners, or sorry, the prison's warden, who says, only the righteous will see God. In here, meaning the prison, Nobody is righteous. He goes on to indicate that he is God's shitty replacement. So uh, let's unpack that for a little bit. There's actually a lot embedded in those three sentences. Um, And I think we can kind of take a bigger look at what that is. The characteristics and attributed to God, according to Rackham, are one, 
God values righteousness and expects righteousness as a prerequisite to seeing him. Uh, quick definition of righteousness according to Google, a person or conduct that is morally right or justifiable. Um, so that's what he means by righteousness. The other thing I wanted to mention is what does seeing God mean? Well, it could mean one of two things. It could refer to seeing God literally after death in the afterlife. Um, this is more of a literal interpretation of Rackham's statement. Uh, it could also refer to seeing God work in and around you both in this life and in the afterlife. So maybe not a visual thing um, so much as an experience thing. So either way, uh, the only way that we could see God, um, regardless of what Rackham means by see God, is if we're morally good enough for God to accept us. Okay. Point number two is that righteousness is achievable by human beings. That's the logical conclusion to Rackham's statement. Applied in context, uh, righteousness isn't available or achievable to anyone who's in prison, right? So there's a certain part, part of that where he's basically saying if uh, you're not righteous, um, which you must not be if you're in prison, you can't be morally right or justified because you've done something wrong and therefore God is out of reach and can't be seen. Again, quotation marks around seen. So the third thing is that uh, man can serve in place of God. So in this case, Rackham himself is fulfilling the role of God. He's the God of the prison, so to speak. As he puts it, God's shitty replacement. Which reveals a few more characteristics of God according to Rackham. So these aren't derived so much from what he says, but rather from what he does, since he uh, essentially calls himself God of the prison. So the first of those is that we see that, uh, that he controls and orchestrates everything. That's what he does as the warden of the prison. So therefore, we can attribute um, him being the God of the prison to his association that God controls and orchestrates everything in the entire world. Um, Rackham is an overseer who has control. The second thing is that if God isn't obeyed, God lashes out with punishment. We see this in Rackham's insistence that Luke, or Carl Lucas at that point of the show, must do what Rackham says. If he doesn't, he's punished. So there's this relationship between God being controlling and orchestrating everything with God being vindictive when um, the human beings, in this case Luke, uh, doesn't do what he's told. And finally, um, God will punish those around us in order to get us to do what he wants. So when Luke refuses to acquiesce to Rackham's request, he says, I don't want to do, I don't want to fight. Rackham then threatens squabbles and then later Riva. Basically, um, what we're seeing here, and this is a rough overview of Rackham's view, according to what we see from the show, Rackham believes these characteristics and attributes to be associated with God. That's what Rackham views. That's how Rackham views God. Rackham seems to indicate that God is essentially a slave owner and that human beings are his slaves and must do what he says. God is an overlord who demands things from us and is only pleased when we do what he says. That's essentially Rackham's view in a nutshell. If you have any thoughts about where I might be getting some of that wrong, um, again, send me an email, but that's what I see from the show. That's what I see from both his behavior and what he talked about as being his personal view. But the show does give us a second view on God. At the end of the episode, Luke Cage quotes Luke 
4, verse 18, which is a passage from the Bible. I looked that up to see what it had to say, and I'll break it down further for you because it's an interesting counter-argument to Rackham's view. So the show doesn't give us much context into the words quoted from Luke 4.18. So let's just start there, okay? Right before this verse, we're told that Jesus Christ enters a synagogue, which is a religious gathering. It's full of people um, and would normally be like going to church on a Sunday morning here in, in the States, in the United States. And at this gathering, he reads from the Hebrew scriptures, um, which is what is taught at the synagogue. And he reads from the book of Isaiah, uh, which also, by the way, can be found in the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, though at the time he's reading this, obviously, there is no Old Testament. Uh, not, it's not referred to as such. It's referred to then as the Hebrew Scriptures. So he's going to read from the Hebrew Scriptures from the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, someone who spoke to God and was capable of predicting the future. And that's who wrote the words that Jesus is going to read from. Uh, they were captured historically. They're, they're from Isaiah. These words also appear in the book of Isaiah, so it is currently in the Old Testament, in the Bible, um, and those words are in chapter 61. So here is what Jesus reads in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Okay, so and that's also exactly what Lucas Cage references. He references Luke 4.18 and then says that exact same thing that I just read to you, though it might be a different translation, so there might be a couple differences, but generally speaking, that's the same. So in the, in the context of the story, though, so Jesus reads this in the synagogue, and then he goes on to say, today, he tells the people there, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That statement and what follows is where things start to become really controversial. And if you keep reading, the people who are listening to Jesus eventually try and kill him. So, I mean, talk about a reaction. That's a pretty extreme one. Can you imagine walking in somewhere and then like saying something and then people try to kill you? I mean... So it's really fascinating, and I'll let you read that on your own. You can do so by reading the, the Luke 4 passage. But we're going to stay focused on the characteristics and attributes of God. And because Christians equate Jesus with God as a member of the Trinity, um, Jesus is God, uh, Jesus' reading of Luke 4.18 and his follow-up statement that today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing means that God has the following characteristics. First, he cares for the poor right? Because that's kind of inherent in that statement, in that verse. Um, two, he has empathy for the brokenhearted and wants to heal them, um, both them and the blind. He also values liberty and wants to set free those who are captive and or oppressed. And finally, his intention is to see people freed and healed, okay? So these characteristics and attributes are hopeful, right? Like you read those characteristics, you read this Bible verse, um, and you would say, okay, that's, that's very hopeful. Um, the difference between Rackham's view of God and that presented by Jesus through Luke 4.18 is striking, right? The two are almost diametrically opposed to one another. 
Um, in Rackham's view, we see this controlling, sort of vindictive God. And then in um, the, the verse that Luke Cage quotes, um, we see someone, a God who cares about the poor, who cares about the brokenhearted, and who values liberty and wants to see captives or those who are oppressed freed. Really striking difference between the two views on God. And this is very similar to what we see in the modern uh, marketplace around us, right? There's like all kinds of different views on God. And neither one of the viewpoints represented in this show, whether whether it's Rackham's viewpoint or whether it's um, Luke Cage's quotation of Luke 4.18, neither one of these things represents a complete picture of God's characteristics or attributes, right? These are limited in their scope. And I would imagine that most people who believe in a God would argue that he's far more complex than either view we're seeing here. Um, nor does it necessarily mean that one viewpoint precludes all aspects of the other viewpoint. Um, in fact, I've heard, um, both perspectives expressed as a starting point into a deeper conversation. So I've personally heard Christians who fall into one of those viewpoints or the other one. So, which obviously suggests that even within one major world religion, there's not full agreement on the topic. You'll have people on one side who do agree that God, um, their, their version of God, their interpretation of their religious text, um, is, you know, vindictive and controlling. Um, and then other Christians would say, oh no, he's loving and compassionate. Um, there's not agreement on this topic, even within Christendom as a whole, right? Even within Christians. So, uh, I like the fact that both perspectives are expressed through the show. Um, and, and obviously on this podcast, we love talking about the spiritual elements of comic books and sci-fi and fantasy. So this is you know great fodder for us to discuss this. But I think what happens is when we hear Rackham's view and then when we hear Luke Cage's view as quoted from the, from the passage, Luke 4.18, that just means we need to dive into more questions and we don't get as many answers as we'd probably like. So some of the questions that I'd like to pose to you are questions like, one, is there even a God? That's something that we should probably all consider, even if we come up with the answer that says there isn't one. I obviously believe that there is one, um, and that's because I've considered the question very deeply, and I would hope that you would too. But two, you know, if there is a God, and uh, what does God desire? What does he want to see from us? Um, how does he want us to behave? Um, these are all questions that we should probably answer. And three, how can we know more about him? And four, how do we determine whose view of God is correct? These are just a bunch of questions that we are led towards when we consider different viewpoints on God. So those are obviously far beyond the reach of episode four of Luke Cage. Get I totally get that. But one question I do find interesting as it pertains directly to the show is how will the Luke 4.18 passage fit into the context of the show? So to a certain degree, as Luke reflected on that passage, it almost sounded like he would take, on, take it on as a motto, right? Uh, he's going to free the captives and free the oppressed and, um, you know, this is really protect people. So... Um, He's talking as if he would do the same things that Jesus Christ claimed that he was going to do. 
So the interesting question for me is, is Luke Cage going to devote himself to being like Christ? And if he does that, should we compare him to Christ as we watch the rest of this season? So I'm, I'm sure we'll know more as we watch, but that's something to consider. And if you've already finished the season, I haven't finished it yet, but as of the, re- the time of this recording, but if you've finished it already, um, you know, shoot us an email and tell us what you think. Is this something that we should do? Should we oftentimes, for example, if you've heard our man of steel podcast, you would know this Superman is often very much so compared to Jesus Christ. Should we also do the same thing with Luke Cage? I don't know. I'll leave that question up to you. Another theme that this show covers is identity. And I really love this part of it because Luke says several things about identity that I think are worth considering. So the first is that um, he claims that he's innocent of the charges that put him in prison, but then goes on to say, I'm guilty of a lot of things people will never know about. He also implores himself to remember who he is because that, he says, will get him through the prison sentence without forcing him to change and become someone else. He does reference a quote that his father said, which is, no one can truly cage a man who wants to be set free. And like we've heard him say in past episodes, he refuses to be identified um, by the N-word. And other people recognize the strong sense of identity that Luke Cage has. Riva even says, his psychiatrist, she says, he's in prison, but he's not a prisoner. Those are all key aspects of Luke Cage's identity. Those things drive him, and they allow him to remain grounded and focused. I think that's intriguing because as he becomes a fugitive, his identity subtly begins to change. We haven't learned a ton about his pre-incarceration identity, though there is an indication that he was a police officer, I think. But we do know that he refuses to identify as a criminal. He may be in prison, but that's a circumstance for him, not a descriptor of his character. He doesn't identify himself as a prisoner. So I love that identity is an important aspect of Luke's character. It begs us to ask the question, what is our own identity? What grounds us? Um, Is our identity rooted in something lasting? Or is our identity rooted in things that may shift or change as we get older. So for example, beauty or um, uh, sports ability, um, sporting ability. Uh, These things change as we get older. And what happens to us when we begin to lose those things? Do we start to question our identity? Or has has our identity been rooted in something that we can still point to? I think they're all fascinating and deep questions that we need to ask ourselves. And I think Luke Cage knows who he is. My question to myself and to you is, do you know who you are? What are core elements of your identity? Um, If if you resonate with any of that, and if you have anything, any thoughts on that, where you've been thinking about elements of your core identity, or maybe your core identity has been rocked a little bit, right? So I'll hear stories where people will tell me, um, you know what? Uh, in fact, I know I know a story of a guy um, that went to the same college as me at a specific university, and he identified as an athlete. And one of the things that happened to him is he got a really bad injury, and that kind of shook up his identity because he could no longer identify as an athlete. In my own life, 
Um, when I was younger, I used to identify as being um, really fit. And so I used to work out a lot. Well, I hurt myself. I herniated, herniated a disc in my back working out. And that really shook me for a time because a lot of my identity was rooted in the fitness. So my question to you is, you know, has your identity ever been rocked to a certain degree? And where do you really place your identity? Um, shoot me an email and tell me about that at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. I'd love to know. As we look at Luke Cage, and as Luke Cage figures out what his identity is, I'd love to hear what your identity is as well. And this brings us to our last topic, which is relationships. So we've covered some spiritual stuff, we've covered some human nature stuff and identity, and now we'll jump into relationships. And several times throughout the episode, um, characters tell Luke Cage that he needs to be in relationships. And at first, he actually, in prison, he actually rejects this notion, or at least resists it, resists it. But despite that, we see him form friendships, and we see him form friendships with both Riva and Squabbles. Um, in fact, we have Riva implore him when he goes to jail. He, she says, if you don't attempt to make friends, the loneliness will eat you alive. And Squabbles also says, the type of loneliness in here will kill you. And he's obviously referring to prison. And so you see Luke who says, my identity is rooted in not being a prisoner. And so I'm going to hold um, other people at arm's length because I don't really belong here. However, by doing that, the caution that he's given from both Riva and Squabbles is, look, um, you know, if you do that, you're, you might face some hardship because the loneliness will either eat you alive or it will even kill you. So on the Reclamation Society podcast, we often talk a lot about community. It comes up in a lot of the podcasts. And so community being friends and family and neighbors. Um, and I actually have personally heard researchers talk about the impact of isolation and loneliness. In fact, there's some research that indicates that isolation and loneliness are um, sort of precursors or predominant reasons why people become addicted to certain things. And so I think that Squabbles and Riva have an important point to make about isolation and loneliness. Even amidst a prison full of people, Luke Cage can feel completely alone and isolated. And that raises questions for us, right? Because now I'm, asked, I'm, I'm forced to ask the question, what impact does isolation and loneliness have on me? And you can ask the same question of yourself. And then how do we combat isolation and loneliness, right? How do we develop relationships and how do we develop deeper, um, intimate relationships with our community? Um, how are we connecting with people? That's another great question to ask. And finally, what impact does technology have on community, right? So I still think that, I mean, social media is still a relatively new phenomenon. And I think it brings some good questions up like um, do those does social media give us the ability to have deep relationships or does it make it more difficult for us to have um, deep relationships this episode does show us how difficult it is to build and maintain community for one, it's hard to trust people, right? I mean, you can imagine if you were all of a sudden sent to prison tomorrow how how likely are you to trust? The inmates that are in prison, right? That's a that's a tall order at best. Um, and the reality is that the closer we get to people, uh, the more we understand what their flaws are. So our best friends will disappoint us. And the closer that we get to them, the more intimate we become with our friends, the greater the chance that they will in turn hurt us. 
But at the same time, we know that loneliness and isolation can cause serious problems as well. As this episode shows us, it becomes pretty tough to balance those two sides of this equation. So that's a lot of things to think about, and I'll go ahead and wrap up the episode right here. Um, if, if you want more information on anything that I've discussed, just send us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. If you have some thoughts on Rackham's view of the characteristics and attributes of God versus um, the verse that Luke Cage quotes, Luke 4, 18, um, if you want to share your opinion on that, or if you have some further questions about it, again, go ahead, email us at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. Or another way to respond to this podcast is to review us on iTunes. So we have zero reviews on iTunes right now. I'd love for you to be the first person to get out there and review us. Uh, maybe by the time this is recorded, there'll be some other reviews, but I'd love to hear from you. Even if it's just a short review or a short email, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Also, don't forget to subscribe. Um, we have some really cool upcoming topics. We're doing a Stranger Things series. We're gonna be talking about Captain America Civil War. We're gonna be talking about the controversial Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. We're gonna specifically tackle the ultimate edition of that film. So please subscribe. Uh, we'd love to have you come back and hear some more from us. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And please consider donating to the Reclamation Society. Um, help us make this, you know, we use those funds to make this podcast, and we also use those funds to develop some of our own original stories as well. Um, Star Wars Rivals, our Star Wars fan film, uh, was made completely off donations. Uh, so it's really great if you guys can give to us. You can do that at www.reclamationsociety.org slash give. Thank you for listening. Until next time, question everything in the stories you read, watch, and listen to, and at all times go out and seek the truth.